all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 273 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Absolute Zero episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that uh, Absolute Zero in Kelvins is approximately negative 273 degrees Celsius. That's right, folks. With that wonderful little bit of scientific knowledge about absolute zero, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Matthew, have you ever noticed that there are more people named Calvin than Kelvin? Yes. Why is that? I think Kelvin would be a pretty cool name. I thought because Calvin was the science guy or math guy. That's usually where the Calvin comes from. And then, of course, there's also a heavy-duty religious Calvin guy versus the Kelvin thing, which is just pretty much related to temperature. I'm thinking that's where it's from. Uh, the French dude, right? Jean? Is it Jean? Sure. No Jean idea. Calvin? Uh, I guess. But, but Kelvin. Kelvin. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Star Trek. Maybe and... it sounds too much like Kevin? Uh, I guess. Could you imagine Home Alone with Kelvin? Kelvin! Yeah. Man, yeah, yeah, she would have definitely blown out her throat screaming for Kelvin than Kevin. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm hell <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? Are you excited now uh that I mean you you're sounding better. We didn't touch on this last week. Um it sounds like your dysentery wore off. Oh yes, yes. The dysentery did finally pass away as it were and uh I then proceeded to celebrate by returning to normalcy and promptly uh throwing my back out that following Friday. So I had finally just recovered from one malady only to be beset with another but had recovered enough from that by the time we recorded last week that things were pretty much back to normal for me. So this time, uh, I guess, we're, we're coming through um, after Easter. So Easter's a thing. Easter is a thing. Yeah, yeah. And it happened. Did, did you celebrate by, you know, finding painted eggs in the yard? or? Yeah, they weren't ours, though, so I got in trouble. Ah, twins next door it was their very first easter to go out and be you know they just started walking so it was their first year to go out and start actually looking for eggs and uh yeah the easter bunny wasn't happy when they found out that i went out and took them all oh well that is a shame that is a shame to disappoint the children in another way we all know how hot it gets early on here in the year and in texas so i made sure all of their Easter stuff was made out of chocolate, so it would just melt in the yard and look like dog poop, and um, had him pick up all the dog poop. You make a great father, and I think <laughs> I'm going to be a fantastic dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not. That is in no way, shape, or form true. Uh, we we went out to uh, we actually went out to our dog Luther's home place out in the Brenham area of Texas, and. Spent Easter with the family out there. It was very nice. Uh, country Easter. Good old-fashioned country Easter. Good old-fashioned country Easter there in Brenham, Texas. 
That's right. So that's what we did. We had, a, you know, so it was nice. Had family together and had ham and ribs and. All did you the give fixings. up anything for Lent? Therefore, oh wait, are you Catholic? No, no, we're 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 neither Catholic, Anglican, or Episcopalian or Lutheran. So we give nothing up for Lent. My significant, more significant SO gave up beating chocolate and sweets and stuff. And I celebrated her coming out of Lent, whatever it's called, because I'm not into that stuff at all, uh, vowing not to eat sweets or chocolate because I ate so much chocolate and sweets during her Lent. <laughs> so I'm, I'm well over it. I, I gorged myself with, uh, with Cold Stone. Outstanding. Yeah. You know, it, it's balance, bringing balance to the world, you see. And what better way to support your upgraded significant other than to balance her out right she gives it up you overtake so that by the time she can come back to celebrate her return to the thing that she gave up you don't want to do it anymore see this works very well that's thoughtful tim see that is very very thoughtful i thought so too she doesn't look at it that way though Well, once she listens to this, I'm sure she'll appreciate it. So, uh, <laughs> to my California friend, Tim was trying to help. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think she fooled us because uh, we all know our SOs do not listen to our show. Well, I'm I'm hoping that'll change now that I had the wife on and, you know, she'll be internet famous now. I mean, I know that she's really going to be telling all of her friends and family and coworkers about our discussions of penis facials and placenta vitamins for sure. So Yeah, it was the show of facials. <laughs> Indeed. Oh man. Alright. Well we've got some fun stuff to get to this week. You wanna go ahead and jump right in? Jump right in. We got a copycat throwdown coming at you. It's it's the the copy copy cat cat throwdown throwdown. That's right. It's the copycat throwdown. Well, that's right. It's the copycat throwdown. Stop it. Stop it. No, no. Seriously, stop it. Oh, right. Like, stop repeating. Stop repeating. Right. Oh, uh, okay. I'm going to kick gonna your ass. ass. Throwdown time. Yeah, so, uh, 2001's Laura Croft Tomb Raider versus uh, Tomb Raider 2018. For this copycat throwdown, I got to be honest with you. I was, uh, I was really looking forward to 2018's Tomb Raider because they had done such a good job back in 2001 with the transition from a video game to a bombastic, epic screen, uh, you know, spectacle, right? Referencing our uh, our debate from last uh, from last show, but it fizzled out. The second movie was just complete shit, which coincidentally kind of, uh, I guess, portended the end of the video game franchise. So it kind of fizzled into nothingness. And then and back in I want to say it was either 2013. Or 2015, I can't recall. They resurrected Tomb Raider and they completely reimagined it and everything. So when they did that, and, and it worked out really well, they, they also chose to ground it in a much more realistic way. And so by doing that, and, and that was part of the um, that was part of the draw to it. 
They also toned down the sexy sultriness of late 90s Laura Croft, which was also, uh, I thought, a great step forward for that stuff because, um, you know, if we want to, if we, if we really want to celebrate having great, um, you know, women heroes and, and, and awesome movies where women get to be uh, the heroines and kick ass and do all that fun stuff, I mean, it's got to be something you can buy into. Um, so they did a great job there. And then, I, and so with it being grounded in real, in, in a more realistic way, I was looking forward to the movie, um, to see how they would translate that for something that would have its, have its roots in the fantastic and the mythic because it's still archaeology, but play out in a realistic way, yet still maintain those adventure elements. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a tall order, but it's something that can be done. And so I, I understood that I was going to be watching two different movies. Even with all that, well, let's just start with Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. We are running out of time. And if we fail, we must wait another 5,000 years. Well, I don't know about you, but that's more time than I'm prepared to commit to this enterprise. This summer, the planets will align. It was the Illuminati who swore to bring their ancestors back to life. Time will stand still. Have you ever heard of the Clock of Ages? It gives its possessor power of the light. And the fate of mankind... Eternal hell revives! ...will rest in the hands of one. Mm, don't start. You're quite an authority on things ancient and mythological. That's why I travel. It's an ancient clock. It was hidden in a secret room. It glows, but it's getting brighter, like it's counting down to something. You can build, destroy, move back and forth through time. The future is yours now, Lara. We're the only one with the strength to destroy the power of the light. We can be partners. You might try to kill me. I'm not going to kill you. I said you'd try. Time to save the universe again, then, is it? Absolutely. On June 15th, the biggest adventure of the summer begins. Angelina Jolie is Lara Croft. This is where I start to have fun. Tomb Raider. So that's uh, so so that's the 2001 action adventure film, and again based on the original Tomb Raider video game series featuring character Lara Croft, and in this case she's played by Angelina Jolie. Now Angelina Jolie also had the uh, distinct advantage of looking very similar, uh, you know, uh, the real life counterpart to the lower polygon count Lara Croft of the late 90s, um, but. In this movie, which has Lara Croft starting off by battling a big, huge robot in an Egyptian tomb that turns out to be her training ground, right? I mean, this is the, the, oh, no, this is just my gym, you know, that's how the movie starts. And so you get the idea of real, uh, of the whole, again, that bombastic spectacle and everything. But at the same time, it's rooted in a video game. So it's already accepted that, you know, you can suspend your uh, belief for this, for this version of reality where you have this heiress who's got bajillions of dollars and is able to do anything. Um, 
of so of course she's going to have a big giant robot that she battles just for fun. Um, yet, in addition to being someone, and, and in addition to being someone who has all this money uh, and has this you know ability to do it, it helps set the stage for her battle against the Illuminati. Um, again, something that is just you know perfectly mythic for the time period. And so the movie carries on, uh, at, you know, back and forth. Uh, you've got even, uh, Ian Glenn is in it. Ian Glenn is, you know, uh, uh, more recently from Game of Thrones. Uh, we've got, uh, Daniel Craig as Alec West, who is like a rival, um, adventurer. Uh, John Voight plays her dad, um, in the film. Coincidentally, John Voight is Angelina Jolie's dad. But, um, so you've got all these things and it goes play. And I mean, and it hasn't aged super duper well, but it's still that, you know, it's still that loud, brash, completely over the top in your face, you know, turn of the millennium action that was built on a video game where, you know, you had like infinite bullets and you had, uh, you know, all the different adventure elements that were capable of being done. And it made the movie fun. Is it realistic? Of course not. But given its source material and the way that they established the character of Lara Croft and the complete over-the-top nature of everything behind it, they made it work. But they also used good actors and actresses. Um, And that, at least, was something that they shared with 2018's Tomb Raider, which, well, here you go. I think I'm going mad. Lara, your father's gone. At some point, we have to face up to who we are, who we're meant to be. I think I know where my dad went. That's right in the middle of the Devil's Sea. It'll be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. What are you doing here, Laura? Seven years I've been on this island. Your father, he put me here. Now I see the likeness, intelligence, the recklessness. What do you know about my father? Laura, there was more to my life than boardrooms and business deals. There's an organization called Trinity. It's looking to start a global genocide. Your dad, Junior, had a bigger holiday. He had a knack for the unexpected. You must stop them, Laura. Promise me. Ladies first. Open the tomb! Put it down! It's your finger that's pulling this trigger. You messed with the wrong family. Moving to the 2018 action-adventure film. This one's directed by uh, Rora Uthog. Uh, and it stars Alicia Vikander, Dominic West, Walton, uh, Walton Goggins, Daniel Wu, and Kristen Scott Thomas. Um, this one, again, is using very good actors and actresses overall. Daniel Wu, eh, not so much. I mean, I appreciated what he was trying to do and everything, but eh, not, not the best there. So... Everything now is grounded. They're, again, they're trying to really ground it in reality. And we have a young woman who's refusing to believe that her father's dead. And so instead of being ultra rich, 
uh, this ultra rich heiress, you know, here's this young girl starting out kickboxing, right? So she's kickboxing in a gym, uh, you know, definitely trying to strike that, uh, rocky vibe, right? Million dollar baby, Annapolis kind of a vibe. Then you find out, oh no, she really is an heiress. She's just being stubborn. We still have all this adventure that we can set up. The problem is, is that everything they use to set up this realism and give you the idea of a woman, of a young woman who has these abilities, doesn't, it doesn't translate because there's no reason or viable way to make the connection of a girl who's just on pride living, you know, living hand to mouth. Um, We're talking about a girl who would be, who's clearly resourceful enough to use the assets of the company that her father started, which is how she was a part of, started, whatever, um, that gives her access to all this money to be able to do the things that she needed to do to find her dad in the first place. So instead of it, instead of it being realistic and setting up something that would follow through, we're instead left with almost almost plot hole territory and then it doesn't ever recover because here we start with this fantastic uh, this mythic idea but instead of it being something grounded in the video game it's expected to be grounded in reality but then our reality isn't something that's viable for the character or the story and then it only goes downhill from there. And instead of providing great action elements, it provides every stupid fucking trope we've seen in any action movie for the past pff, 60 years. Easy. I mean, come on. How many times does someone have to dangle by one arm off the side of a cliff or a bridge or a plane wing or the plane or the waterfall or the snake or the cliff again? But I mean, it's like, do it once or twice, but if that's your go-to move, all we have is someone who's really, really skilled at hanging by one arm. It doesn't add tension, it just lends credence to unbelievability, which is why the movie doesn't work. The movie just doesn't work. And instead of having the... um. And instead of having the, um, uh, the, the Illuminati, instead, it's Trinity. Um, you know, everything is just a terrible, terrible, terribly cheesy knockoff of an admittedly cheesy over the top action film from 17 years ago. And it didn't take any of the lessons of the video game that it then rebooted from, uh, because instead of it, instead of it blending the sensibilities of the video game, they tried too hard to make the film grounded in reality and it causes it to fail. Um, and also in its grounding in reality, you then kind of can't have people, your characterizations, despite their, their good intentions and their decent acting, um, Again, they turn out to be not believable. So it, it just wasn't well executed. And while I thought the way that the finale played out was at least interesting, all I'm sitting there looking at is going, hey, look, 
they remade Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, so, yeah, so I gotta give it to Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Um, it hasn't aged particularly well, but I still think that it made better use of the source material and it made better use of providing an avenue for you to suspend your disbelief so that when you see all this over-the-top stuff in this world-spanning conspiracy, it's easier to buy into and just simply more fun to watch. Um, I appreciate what 2018's Tomb Raider was trying to do, but it it just just couldn't pull it off. I was disappointed and laughing for all the wrong reasons at 2018's Tomb Raider. So, Lara Croft Tomb Raider for me. Tim! Uh, well, wake up over there. I'm sorry I talked for so long. What What would you like to say? What you didn't you didn't enjoy the believability of her piercing her side when she was tumbling through that forest and struggling to stand up and run through the forest to escape her captors and then suddenly forgetting about that injury and she's able to run full force and. <laughs> And and tackle the guy who's bigger than her and flip him over and strangle him in the stream. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and no, she's no. able to hold up a bow and arrow like with ease without any issues. Or how about when after the whole airplane river debacle thing and she's getting so fucked up and better yet, whenever she's up in the cave and spoiler alert meets somebody very significant in her life. <laughs> and then the next day she just goes on this, you know, I don't get it. She's hurt. My favorite part of that whole scenario is when the special person that she finds in the cave just so happens to have a seven-year-old tackle box full of first aid kit supplies that that are in perfect shape to be able to treat this wound. <laughs> yes, and, and he must have elixirs. That that twelve dollar first aid kit's gonna take care of everything. Apparently, it did because that next day she was able to traverse down that mountain, <laughs> climb down that mountain, and go kick ass. Oh uh, yeah. What you said about the movie was trying to be grounded in reality. It tries to be grounded in, in reality when it chooses to ground itself in reality. And that's what bothers me, is that the movie is fun and everything at the beginning, but then as the adventure sets in, it comes across as less of, of an adventure and more of just like a survival movie. But then there's like adventure, fun, entertaining game elements tacked on to it. So you just really don't know what to think, and it's more awkward than anything else it just really bothered me. If if you wanted this to be grounded more in reality, if a branch or a twig or whatever the hell that was pierces her side, she better still be feeling it for the rest of the movie. Or at least up until that next day when maybe it magically healed by the uh, special person's first aid formula, whatever. Maybe some special <laughs> neosporin he had that heals wounds in 20 minutes. I don't know. But that plus the CGI in the blue screen is what really, really did me in. Because the movie opens up. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I think the relationship that they bring back between Laura Croft and uh, Lord Croft, her father, very much like John Voight and his real daughter, Angelina Jolie, I guess, in the first Laura Croft movie, they bring it back. But it's more believable and it's a little more engaging this time around. And not as really hokey and awkwardly written. So I was behind it. 
And I liked how she discovered her father's super secret lair. You know, I thought that was cool. I thought the little fun fight chase scene through the docks in Thailand or wherever the hell she was in Asia was pretty cool. But then from there, once they get on to that island with the captors and all the evil people and whatnot, the movie just fucking goes downhill. Like... What's his name? The bad guy, one of the bad guys, he knows who Laura Croft is, and he knows that she knows that he killed her father. Why why keep her alive? She made it this far. She's determined. Therefore, you should kill it. I mean, you have the book. Just kill the woman. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Then they're throwing in the whole, like, apocalypse now. He's been on the island for so long that he's just going mad. I I get that. Just have that carry through because he's not completely psychopath. He doesn't have island fever or whatever from point A to point Z up until his demise, I guess, at the end of the film. There needs to be more of that character work to justify his motivations, you know, to justify why he didn't just offer. It's a lot of little bitty stuff like that. You know, the CGI, technical aspects, that by the time it got to the last 20 minutes of the movie, I thought the movie was already almost over. I was completely surprised that more of that $140 or whatever budget went towards actual practical sets and the inside of an actual tomb that they explore and have to open up trap doors. And there's actually a real MacGuffin that you get to see. And I thought the twist was pretty cool. Like, there's really cool aspects at the beginning of the movie and then at the end of the movie. That whole middle part is just overly CGI blahness that felt like they were trying to make it as close as possible or to keep it as close as possible to a video game where at the time was revolutionary and cool. Well, since that video game was made that they were trying to base this movie off of, we've seen and played other video games just like that. So it's nothing really all that fresh. And I saw this movie before rewatching the 2001 Laura Croft Tomb Raider movie with Angelina Jolie and John Voight. And so I was not looking forward to seeing the 2001 Laura Croft Tomb Raider movie with Angelina Jolie and John Voight. However, after spending an hour and 40 minutes watching the movie, I was pleasantly entertained, I realized. Because when it comes down to a movie like this, and especially comparing a movie, both from the same property... It's difficult for me not to compare their technical attributes because Laura Croft Tomb Raider uses significantly more practical sets, practical effects, props. When they do have CGI characters, they look okay. They look surprisingly fine because how they're utilized. They're not doing these crazy long shot chase sequences in a jungle where she's not having to float down this jungle river and just about to fall over this huge-ass waterfall, but only getting saved by this crash-landed old-ass plane that's there. 
which then leads into another perilous moment or segment where the plane begins to break apart and therefore she's worried about falling down that waterfall again. With the 2001 movie, it's either Laura Croft versus the robot at the beginning of the movie, or it's Laura Croft fighting real bad guys in a gun battle while she's doing this bungee cord shit in her mansion living room, or it's her versus slow motion time and the bad guy with the knife. You know, it's more of like really cool ideas that they utilized sparingly throughout the film. And that's why I think 2001's Laura Croft not only ages the best, which I think is kind of funny because the new one just came out and Laura Croft's Tomb Raider came out 17 years ago, you know, it still looks better. And I think it will ultimately hold up better even 20 years from now. Because how they utilize that CGI, how they utilize whatever blue screen, green screen they used, the production design of Laura Croft's Tomb Raider is so good. It's technically a well-made movie. And very much like what Matt was saying, it's just one of those movies. It's based off a video game. Look at the, you know, the, the story of it. The story of it is ridiculous. We can't take this stuff seriously. So if you want to base it in reality, there still has to be some kind of fantastical fun adventure, you know, element to it. Yet they still have that in the new movie it just happens too far in between, you know? It happens at the beginning of the movie, and then at the end of the movie, the whole middle part is just bleh. It's survival bleh. Ugh. I'll end it there. Matt, you definitely said it better, so hopefully I touched on other things that maybe you did not say. <laughs> Luckily, we both deem Laura Croft's Tomb Raider 2001 the winner of this copycat throwdown. Yes, and I just attacked on to Tim. When I say that uh, that 2001 hasn't aged particularly well, I what I mean is, of course, the special effects clearly appear to be 17 years old. But 28, and and that, and and in that, I mean it hasn't aged particularly well. Um, the banter, though, is also, I would argue, a little bit dated, but still very fun. Oh, sure. Oh, for but, sure. But but yeah. the 2018 version, yeah. Again, we we tipped the point at least at least at this point about four to five years ago of everything is now uh, special effects are now so good they're bad, and 2018's Tomb Raider is yet another example of that. So I definitely agree with Tim on that. I guess then next week's bonus segment we'll well we'll go back and do some news. We'll do some news for that. And without further ado, I guess that brings us to the movies, does it not, sir? Yes, sir. Then here we go, folks. It's the movies. <laughs> This week's movies are Unsane and Love, Simon. Where do you want to start, sir? All right. I'm going to go with my least favorite. I have a feeling it's probably your least favorite also. Boy, I hope I'm right. Then again, I hope I'm wrong because this could be interesting. Unsane. Uh, actually, there, there was a tie this week. Really? So, okay. Yes. It is impossible for you to be wrong. See? It's both my lowest and highest rated film. So, you know, we're good to go. <laughs> Unsane. Here we go. Your life slips away from you. 
you know? Changing your phone number and your email becomes normal. Taking out a restraining order, normal. Relocating to another city, normal. But you still see your stalker everywhere? Rationally, I know this is my imagination, but I'm alone in a strange city and I never feel safe. There's some more forms you need to fill out. It's just routine. I finished my homework. Sawyer Valentini, please follow me. Well, look, I, I don't have a lot of time. I, I should be back at work, so. What am I doing in here? Take off your clothes down to your underwear. I'm not sure what's happening here. The door's locked. It would be better for everyone, especially yourself, if you just do as I ask. There's been some kind of mistake. By signing this, you've consented to voluntary commitment. I am being held here against my will. Do you know how many calls the cops get like that every week? Those are from crazy people. This man, he's followed me all the way here from Boston. I'm calling the cops and I want him arrested. My stalker is here. We did a thorough background check. You should be protecting me. Mom, no one believes me. I'm getting you out. There's nothing we can do unless you have proof that a crime's been committed. I must be insane. I must be insane. My mom didn't pick up last night. Hello? I must be insane. What happened to her? A dead body was discovered. I must be insane. He's here. Or maybe it's all in my head. All right, so American, uh, 2018 American psychological horror thriller film. Uh, of course, this was completely done, virtually completely done on the back end by Steven Soderbergh uh, in terms of being shot and edited and directed. Film stars Claire Foy, Joshua Leonard, Jay Farrow, Juno Temple, Amy Mullins, and Amy Irving, uh, who follows Claire Foy's character of Sawyer, who is seeing a stalker around everywhere, thinks that she is trying to go to a support group, but inadvertently has booked herself into a mental facility that she cannot get out of. Um, shenanigans ensue, and the film carries on from there. Now, the film's big... I'm just going to say gimmick is that it was filmed entirely on like iPhone 7s and shit. The lighting issues are apparent, but not abound. There are lighting issues as a result of that that are apparent, but they do not abound throughout the film. I think that it is interesting. It was an, it was an interesting way to do fun shot selection so that you can see things like one of the earlier shots of the film is like in a bedroom and you can pretty clearly see that the cell phone uh, the iPhone itself has like been propped up against, say, like the like a uh, uh, the top of a dresser, so that it looks down across the bed and stuff like that. So, you know, it's fun to be able to get these really unique perspectives um, that are a lot more natural in their um, in the way that they are set. Uh, so that your framing is just so. And it's a lot more difficult to get that when you're using, you know, standard camera setups. As watching this as an experiment in shooting a film, it is, it is fairly interesting. For me, though, the movie kind of sort of relies too much 
on the shooting style to make up for glaring issues in the story itself. And that, for me, is what hurts the film overall. I really, really like Claire Foy, though. And and I liked also the exploration of someone being trapped in a mental institution. Um, that is something that is, that is a very real, even today. It's not, it's not a huge problem, but it is a real problem. And so I liked, I really liked the way that it added tension to the story in that regard. But most everything else that the film offers hinges upon the gimmick of using the phones because there's only so much you can do in terms of the way you edit. Um, a lot of it also has to do with the shot selection and the framing, um, as well as the choices of the angles on the shots. Um, and if you're going to try and do that on a technical level, you've got to have more of a reason to do that on a technical level than, oh, look how cool my cell phone is. So the story has great elements, but not the best at execution. Um, it is the shot selection is interesting and the framing is pretty cool. Lighting issues, then. Nah. All in all, I do give this one a three point two five. I can at least say I liked it. Uh, it's not the greatest movie. I, I don't know if I would go back and watch it again, but I can't say I was sorry that I watched it. What do you got there, Tim? I, I really don't know what to say about this movie without saying without it sounding like I'm completely crapping all over it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple good things about it. It was shot in ten days. The movie Unsane was shot in ten days, so the camera positioning and blocking was very spur of the moment because they shot it with an iPhone and and in just ten days. Soderbergh was able to build this tension by using the iPhones and the shot selections, providing this surreal viewing experience, which added to the tension because it felt like you're watching a real person kind of go through something very traumatizing. What was really interesting is because he shot with the iPhone, it really provided a very, or it must have provided a really interesting interaction between the director and the actor, because the director is not going to be in the other room watching on a monitor. I mean, he's going to be there with the iPhone, knowing how Steven Soderbergh works, and probably being the one who sets up the iPhone and actually positions it and gets everything right, and he's going to be very hands-on. So I imagine, due to the size of the iPhone and the limitations of using an iPhone as the, the main camera, or camera, was, it provided a very personal relationship between performers and the director. I think that's what really pulled this movie off. As an experimental film, I thought it was cool, and I'm glad I saw it. More movies like this need to be made. However, I've been reading stellar reviews. People praise it as one of Soderbergh's best movies in the past eight year, nine, ten years or so, uh, and I'm having a very difficult time getting on board with those people because it was difficult for me to believe what was going on. It was difficult for me to believe that these characters were characters that I had to actually care about because the writing was so dialogue, I should say, it was so bad. It sounded so juvenile. The dialogue we've heard from a hundred other movies 
how the characters interact, how the characters progressed. We've seen it all before, and it just didn't feel real. You know, I think the movie would have felt more real if Claire Foy's character didn't make the stupid, the same stupid mistakes we've seen other characters made or make in other movies. This was clearly happening just to put her deeper into the rabbit hole. And it just didn't, it just didn't work out. The guy who played her stalker, whenever the two of them finally have their one-on-one confrontation closer to the end of the movie in a padded cell, it reminded me very much of a high school play. Two high schoolers, maybe in their uh, sophomore, junior year, or even senior year of high school, what, whatever, performing Arthur Miller. You know, something that's very dramatic. And for the performer to really get the character and to really get the dialogue, to really get that across believably, they have to experience in some way the type of feelings that their character is experiencing. You know, they have to make some kind of connection, whether it be the exact experience or something that they can compare it to. And and it, it comes and the reason why I'm, I'm saying that it reminds me so much of a high school performance is because obviously high school kids they cannot really make those comparisons, not all of them. And this is this is how they come across, you know, when they argue, when they say this dialogue, it just comes across as two high schoolers emoting with with so much passion about things that they are either unable. Or not mature enough to make a connection with. Now, obviously, Claire Foy and the other, and the guy uh, who plays her stalker or whatever are older and more mature people. I'm not saying that. It's just how the movie was staged, uh, or these particular scenes were staged, and how the dialogue was written. That's, to me, how it comes across. But I do give this movie props. I do give it props. It's an experimental film, but it is nothing close to being a great film. I think I'm giving this movie such harsh criticism because of the movie Tangerine, which was also completely shot on iPhones. And we reviewed that movie here, what, two years ago or so? And that movie is a brilliant film. Well thought out, well directed. It was a great script. The performances were phenomenal. Again, it it was all shot on iPhones. So, you know, there's something to compare it to that was... Definitely, definitely better. Unsane, I'm going to give it two and a half out of five. I didn't like it, but I appreciated it, I guess, for what it is. So two and a half out of five. All right. That leaves us with Love, Simon. Well, yeah, Love, Simon. (laughs) Hey, guys. How was the party? It was really fun. Aces. He's wearing a woman's sweater, and he's drunk. Well, he didn't drive drunk, and he's home before curfew, so... That's what I thought we thought. Right? Yeah, we're good parents. Yeah, we're good. Right? Good morning, Creekwood Hulk! My name's Simon. For the most part, my life is totally normal. I have a family that I actually like, and there's my friends. We do everything friends do. We drink way too much diced coffee, walk gorging on carbs. So, I'm just like you, except I have one huge-ass secret. Nobody knows I'm gay. Have you seen the new post? About the closet a gay kid at school. What? Who do you think it is? Can I call you back? Dear Blue, I'm just like you. <sighs> this was a mistake. It's nice to know there's another guy at school with the same secret. When did you first realize? It was a bunch of little things, like my first girlfriend. I think I'm falling in love with you. Wow, thank you. Be right back. 
wasn't my proudest moment. Sometimes I think I'm destined to care so much about one person it nearly kills me. Me too. I'm done living in a world where I don't get to be who I am. I deserve a great love story. And I want someone to share it with. Have you ever been in love? I think so. These last few years, it's almost like I can feel you holding your breath. I'm supposed to be the one that decides when and where and who knows. That's supposed to be my thing. Disclaimer, this is about to get romantic as F. You're not into Abby, are you? She's cute, but yeah. she's just not really my type. Mm. Not because she's black. I love black women. Not like, you know, I have a thing for black women. I just, I just, I just love all women. All right. 2018 American romantic comedy drama films directed by Greg Berlanti. And uh, it stars Nick Robinson, Josh Dumel, and Jennifer Garner. And this uh, follows a young man, a closeted gay teenage boy by the name of Simon, who is attending high school in Atlanta. And um, he has basically an idyllic life. Uh, with a loving family and great friends and finds out uh, through one of his newer friends that there's a kid who posted anonymously about being gay in his school and how hard it was, yada, yada, yada. So Simon takes it upon himself to create an alter ego, email this guy, and let him know that he is also gay. So, um, shenanigans ensue. Uh, Simon is on to try and figure out who this uh, blue character is because they kind of really like each other and they really seem to form a connection. Simon goes by Jacques. Well, shenanigans then continue to ensue and, of course, uh, Simon has to deal with the fallout of being closeted gay and wanting to have a happy life and what it means to be closeted and subsequently not be closeted. Um, and that is what this movie is about. So here's the thing about this movie. I think that this is a great movie for, um, for pretty much anyone who wants to discuss this kind of content with their, with their kids um, I think it's a great movie for um, people who are in the same predicament, especially in this age group um, as Simon, uh, who's again played by Nick Robinson, who, while he himself is straight, his brother struggled with this and actually came out to him during the filming of the movie. So that was kind of cool. So I think there's a lot of positives for this film. And I think that in terms of cinematography and aesthetics and stuff soundtrack all of those things really hit the right notes but the biggest problem for this movie is it is literally just it's saccharine and it's a little too simple i'd say it's like disney channel plus right it's better than a disney channel movie but it's still a disney channel movie do you, do you follow what i'm saying that's what i mean by saccharine and it it oozes out of it in every step of the in every step of the production and every step of the story and there are legitimate things for simon to overcome but um and, and there is this you know your stereotypical bullying and things of that nature that go on but nothing is really nothing really goes to a dark place everything has a balance and 
all all is well that ends well. I'm not saying that this movie needs to be like 13 Reasons Why or something like that. And I don't want to convey that all movies need to be more serious. But I think that if it wants to be... I think if it wanted to be a stronger film, there would have been a little... Some more darker tones. Not necessarily... I mean, I don't mean like death or destruction, but some darker tones and something to take a little bit more seriously. But for what it is and for the message that it provides, I think it's a great film. I think it's a great film. I just think it's a little too a little too simple, a little too sappy, a little too sweet. Um, I give this one a 3.25 out of 5. I definitely like this movie as well. It's um, It's got some, in my opinion, issues. But, I mean, I could definitely see if... For whatever reason, we needed to have this discussion with my kids um, as they got into high school. I would have no problem popping in this movie to help jumpstart that conversation. And I think that's the best thing you can hope for with this movie. And I think that's why this movie is as important as it is. So 3.25 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim? Bring us home. If they were able to wrap this movie up in 90 minutes, I probably would have given this uh, closer to a four. I'm at three out of five for Love, Simon. It's an entertaining movie uh, until it reaches that 90 minutes. There are just like a number of storylines that the film not only takes its time to set up, it really takes its time to wrap up. So... I mean, it's story elements, it's character elements. You know, they were just trying way too hard, it seemed, to get this movie right. That they kept expounding on character details and those story elements. Kept trying to make it deeper and have Simon, you know, make the hole that he's in deeper and deeper and deeper. So that when everything kind of explodes in his face at the end of the movie, he just struggles to get out. Or it's that much more of a struggle for him to get out of that hole. I get all that, but it looks like it prepared itself as if the ride was going to be effortless. Very much like the movies that it's trying to be like in its humor, in its tone, in its whimsy even. For example, Sixteen Candles or The Breakfast Club. You know, it it wants to be like that. Unlike all those movies, Love, Simon doesn't come across not nearly as effortlessly. For one thing, the kids in Love, Simon, all these kids, are way too smart to be making these stupid decisions. I mean, I never spoke like these guys. Yet I knew if I had to talk to one of my dear friends about something, my parents were going through something horrible. I mean, I mean a number of personal things happened. And I felt comfortable going to my close friend to talk to them about those, and in my opinion, were very embarrassing personal things. I get it. I do not fully understand. I Actually, I don't understand at all what it's like to come out as gay, especially in the land or in today's world with technology and social media and everything, you know, especially with internet bullying and whatnot. I've had friends that come out to me in high school and I was very supportive, you know, and everybody else who they talked to was very supportive. You would think that people that can quote philosophers who listen to the kinks, who have a very mature taste in everything would feel comfortable to talk to their friends. I just have a hard time believing having that conversation with such a close friend 
Like the number of friends that Simon has in this movie, I don't see it leading to the depths of the hole that he digs himself into by the end of this movie. It just feels so overwritten. Things happen just to get from point A to point B. And I think that's a shame because it's a good movie. You have great actors. But he has a mom who's an ultra-liberal. Fortunately, Jennifer Garner plays, of course, the stereotypical liberal psychiatrist, whatever that means. <laughs> he has a sister that's really into cooking. So uh, people are smart. She watches Chopped, and she makes food like the people on Chopped. And I'm not talking about Olive, like the character of Olive in Little Miss Sunshine, who has dreams and hopes and aspirations and, 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 and tries to reenact that stuff, but it doesn't quite get there. No, this girl is like a full-on fucking chef and is able to make shift. Yeah, maybe it tastes good and maybe it doesn't taste good, but she's able to do it. It does it like it, it's not all that real. But yet the movie tries to take itself to that realistic level. I don't know, Matt. Am I too far off base saying any of that stuff? I mean, does it make any sense whatsoever? Well, and again, that's. I mean, I know you. I mean, you touched on that as well in, in some way, but your detail is much better than mine in that. That is what I mean when I say the movie is saccharine. It's, it is artificially sweet. All these wonderful kids who do these wonderful, amazing things, but yet they still, they're, they're still teens. They still make stupid mistakes and you can relate to it. Come on, kids, don't you? You see what I mean? It's, you know, you've got all of these elements of greatness, but in some ways it's, dumbed down so that you have this kind of contrast between you know an intelligent being versus your regular dumb teenager um and, and so it just you know it's it's artificial you know it, it, it's it, it makes it harder to be real but i don't necessarily think that's what the movie is going for I think the movie is more going for acceptance, relating to needing to come out, relating to being closeted um, if for whatever reason you can't or don't feel like you can come out. Um, and, and yet, and yet also that the possibility remains for just like your cis male and females to have their happy ending, you can have your happy ending too. And I, and that's again why I say the heart of the movie is good. I just think that there are elements that are, it's fake, you know, it's, it's, it's just too much. Um, and you're, and you're hitting the nail on the head with, you got these incredibly smart, amazingly talented kids that it would not track that they would then make the mistakes and do the things that they do. And yet, not only do they do it, they have to do it so that the movie has a narrative. Is that what you were trying to say? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> in four minutes, Matt summed it up in 30 seconds. <laughs> All right, well, that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies are going to be Ready Player One, Isle of Dogs, and Mom and Dad. Um, and will, will we have Tim in Texas? Is that, is that right? Is that going to be the time that we actually get to hang out together? I, well, we, we must talk about that at the end of the show. That is something we must discuss. That we might have Tim in Texas. 
How about we just get to the spiel then? What do you say? Spiel on. You're Norma Desmond. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Uh-huh. I knew there was something wrong. They're dead. They're finished. There was a time in this business when they had the eyes of the whole wide world. But that wasn't good enough for them. Oh, no. They had to have the ears of the world, too. So they opened their big mouths, and out came talk. Talk, talk. That's where the popcorn business comes in. You buy yourself a bag and plug up your ears. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can, of course, come for the information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Super Radio, as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying the thanks to Robinson. I get to say this. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.